Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. I'd like to welcome you all today to episode 32, Hunting Gould's Turkeys with Jay Scott. Now before we get into this week's interview, I want to read a review real quick from iTunes. J underscore live 07 says all the way from Idaho five stars hey Andy great podcast this is my new favorite outdoor podcast great guests great tips and great topics I'll be putting these tips into play this week as I take my nephews on their first turkey hunt here for the Idaho youth opener thanks for sharing your insight now I just need to figure out a way to get down to Alabama to get myself an eastern well J live 07 Shoot me an email, andy at iamturkeyhunting.com, and maybe you and I can work out a swap for an Idaho Merriam's for an Alabama Eastern. Holler at me and let's see if we can work that out. Also, I do know, because you posted a photo of your two nephews with turkeys, actually it was a turkey selfie that they took, that they both scored on their first turkey hunt, and it was a double. That's awesome. Congratulations to all three of you. I'm very excited for you, and you also mentioned that my tip I gave of getting as close as you feel comfortable getting to that gobbler and then going one tree closer, you told me that that tip really paid off for you on that particular hunt, and I am very excited to hear that. Thank you guys for your success stories. I really do appreciate that. It goes to prove to me that the information that you guys are getting from the show is helping you to be more successful, and that really is the whole purpose of the show. So I appreciate that. I enjoy sharing in your success, and I love seeing the pictures of your hunts. So keep them coming. All right. Don't forget after the interview that we have the new segment of the show called Ask the Turkey Hunter. And if you have a question you'd like to ask me, feel free to do that. Send me an email to askandy at iamturkeyhunting.com. Askandy at iamturkeyhunting.com. I'll be glad to try to tackle your question or scenario for you. All right, so we've got a long episode today, but it's really an interesting episode. I interviewed Jay Scott, who is with Colburn and Scott Outfitters. Jay lives in Arizona, and he has a hunting outfitter operation. They do elk hunts and coos deer hunts, both in Mexico and in the U.S., and Jay is a super, super nice guy. He is a turkey hunting fool. He's eaten up with it just like I am, and Jay guides Gould's turkey hunts. He takes hunters every year to Mexico, and they hunt the Gould's wild turkey there. Jay has a website. It's GouldsTurkeyHunt.com. 
G-O-U-L-D-S-T-U-R-K-E-Y-H-U-N-T.com, GouldsTurkeyHunt.com. Jay is also the host of Jay Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast that you can find on iTunes. If you have any interest in going out west to hunt, I really recommend the podcast to you. It's a great show, very entertaining, very informative, and if you find that you need a guide or an outfitter to go out west and hunt with, you may want to consider hitting Jay up. He really seems to know what he's talking about. I wanted to get him on to talk about the Gould's turkeys. It's something that's not going to be for everyone. Not everybody's going to be able to afford to do it. I certainly understand that, but it does need to be on everybody's wish list whether you can get to it next year or you get to it in 2025. This is a hunt you really want to go on. It's a lot of fun. The birds are beautiful, absolutely beautiful turkeys. And they do everything that we want turkeys to do. They gobble well, they come to calls well, they decoy well, and they photograph well. And if you go to Jay's website, GouldsTurkeyHunt.com, you will also see that Jay is a heck of a photographer and videographer as well. He videos and photographs every hunt that he does, and he has some amazing pictures and videos on his website and his Facebook page as well. So be sure to check all that out. We're going to jump right into the interview. I look forward to seeing you guys on the other side. I'm excited to have Jay Scott on the call with us today. Jay is with Colburn and Scott Outfitters and GouldsTurkeyHunt.com. And I wanted to get Jay on tonight to talk to us about just that, hunting the Goulds turkeys. And I have had the pleasure of hunting Goulds turkeys before, and I've actually killed two Goulds. And I can tell you that the experience of the hunt for a Goulds turkey is amazing. And so I know that not everyone can afford to do the Goulds hunt. Not everyone's going to have the opportunity to do a Goulds hunt. Not everyone's going to want to do a Goulds hunt. But a Goulds hunt is a turkey hunt. And there's nothing that I love more than talking about turkeys and turkey hunting. So I've got Jay on the call with us. Jay, how are you and where are you? I'm doing fantastic, uh, Andy. I've been looking forward to doing this podcast with you. I am actually in my hometown right now in Scottsdale, Arizona. Scottsdale is a suburb of Phoenix about, well, they're connected now, but it's on the north side of Phoenix. And yeah. uh, weather is good. I was in uh, California last weekend for the spring opener for the Rio Grande turkeys over there. I took my nephews and drove 600 miles to roost some birds. And opening morning had four toms come into the to the uh, strutter decoy and our hunt was finished in about 10 minutes. They both doubled off the roost. And so we had a fantastic time over there. I actually saw the video footage of that hunt on YouTube, and that is some incredible footage. You know, it was it was awesome. We were able to roost those birds. We've been hunting over there with a friend of mine that has a ranch, and we've been hunting over there, oh, seven, eight years. And we got over there in the evening, the night before the hunt, and got up high and just started glassing and listening. We heard some birds gobbling, and we were able to put our binoculars on them and watched them go up into the roost, but not. we didn't have the exact tree they were in. Mm-hmm. But we we figured we could get in there pretty tight in the morning early, and we got in there pitch black dark and set up the decoys and just kind of sat there and let everything happen. And they started gobbling, and 
once it once it got light, I realized that we were in a good position. We had a single gobbler to our right, and we had three gobblers out about 125 yards, kind of to our left. So we were kind of in the middle of them. Our decoys were set in the field. I had I like using the Dave Smith decoys. We had the Dave Smith strutter and actually a Jake and and some of the hens. And I mean, it was really I probably didn't have to call at all. I mean, they basically flew down, saw the decoys, and marched right over to them. So it was awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful country out there for sure. That really is some pretty country. At least from the video footage that you had, it didn't look like it was very wooded. Is that all pretty open or was it just, you mentioned a field, so I didn't know. If- yeah, no, it's it's um, kind of ranch land. It's probably at a couple thousand feet of elevation and it's they've got big black oaks, got quite a bit of poison ivy over there as well. And, and so the actual place where the turkeys were, I want to say was probably 150 yards by 150 yards, kind of a big grassy cow, cow pasture, mm-hmm. but it is pretty wooded it's not wooded like probably what you're used to in alabama where you have you know solid stands of of hardwoods but it you know it's definitely they do have some cover it's always beautiful green except for you know this year california is in a severe drought so you know having gone the same weekend for the last seven or eight years it was definitely the driest i had seen it there wow Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first got into turkey hunting. You know, I, from the first time I went turkey hunting, I have fallen in love with it. That's probably been 20 some years ago. And the first time I heard a turkey gobble and the first time I heard someone work a box call and have a turkey respond, you know, I've basically wanted to be in the spring turkey woods from the time they're gobbling till the time they quit. And fortunately, in the last, say, 10 years of my life, I've been able to have the financial means to make that happen a lot of times and hunt in a lot of different places and and basically just chase. You know, there's guys, I'm one of them that chases the, the fly fishing hatches and such. But in the spring, I'm one to, you know, kind of follow the gobblers around and where they're gobbling, I want to be. And you know, I, I'm I'm the guy that'll tell you, you know, I've shot a lot of turkeys and, and helped a lot of people get turkeys, but I'm still as shook up the first, you know, this, the, the <laughs> however many I've shot on the last time as I am the first time. I mean, people say, geez, Jay, uh, you're an elk guide, a sheep guide, and, you know, you have elk standing, you know, 10 yards from you bugling and you're calm as can be, but you get a turkey next to you and you're just, I mean, I'm just, I'm a mess. And yeah. I think that's what I love about turkey hunting so much. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they just think it's a you know for lack of a better term they're just like why do you like turkeys so much they're just a dumb bird well to me it's everything about turkey hunting you know from from all of the gear and all of the setup stuff and all of the strategy behind it and trying to be in the right place at the right time and i talk about with guys you know Turkey hunting in my in my mind is how you do it in the process. It's not just going out killing a bird. Yeah. It's it's all the things that lead up to it, you know, strategizing with your buddies on where you're going to be sitting opening day, you know, what if the birds do this? What if they do that? You know, and going through all of that. So from an I'm a real analytical type of person and and for me, you know, turkey hunting is all about the process. That's exactly right. That is one thing that really gets me into the sport more than anything else and that is when I go into the turkey woods whether I get on a gobbling turkey that day or I don't everything else in the world goes away absolutely because my focus 100% is what should I do next okay where should I go next 
And so I think for, I'm very anal analytical as well. And I think for people like you and I, it is something that we can run through our head and go through all these processes and go through all these steps. And there's another step. There's always another step. There's another step. If there's a turkey gobbling, what's the next step? If there's not a turkey gobbling, what's the next step? So I can completely lose everything else in the world and focus on turkey hunting. And it truly is the one release that I have that is just that. Yeah. It is the release from everything else that's going on from work, from home, all the other stresses going on. And that's what I focus on when I'm out there. So yeah, I mean, I, I have a saying that, you know, it's eat, sleep and kill. And, and, and it sounds kind of barbaric, but I mean, I love just getting in that mode where you're you're all focused, you're all in on the hunt, you don't have anything else going on, you block everything else out, and all you're thinking about is where do I need to be set up and what can I do to be more efficient and do this better. And not that I'm focused on the kill at all, but I'm focused on trying to be efficient and trying to put myself and my hunters and my buddies in the best position we possibly can to get it done. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Gould's turkey a little bit. What is a Gould's turkey and what makes it different than the other turkeys that we find here in the U.S., the Easterns, the Merriams, the Rios, and the Osceola? What is different about a Gould's than those four? From my experience, I would say the Gould's are a bigger bird as far as, far as standing height from, from you know ground level to the top of their head. I'm going to think that they're probably the tallest bird out there. I, I can't speak for Easterns or Osceolas. I have not done that yet, but I, I have a lot of hunters tell me that their track is bigger that obviously I believe their tail fan to be actually a little bit bigger I don't know if it is but a lot of hunters that come hunt with me down in, in Mexico for Goulds the first time they see a Goulds turkey strutted out I mean I try to explain it to them and they just don't really get it and then the look in their eyes when they first see a, a bird in full strut with that big white band on their tail you know, it just makes them look so big and beautiful. The thing I really like about Gould's turkeys compared to the Merriams and Rios that I, I've hunted for a long time is, to me, they're very callable. They, they love to strut. They love to gobble. They really work to the call well. You can get away with not being the greatest caller and be just an average caller and do very well. And so they're a very user-friendly bird, in my opinion. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they just don't get hunted. They don't get called to. And, you know, that they're not like an eastern bird that's on edge at all times. You know, I, I think their gobble, Andy, you hunted them. Their gobble is not, I say it's kind of a cross between a Rio's and a, and a Merriam's. But they love to strut. And, you know, if, you, if you've watched any videos on my on my site, uh, gouldsturkeyhunt.com, uh, you'll see that they, they love to come to the decoys. They love to beat the decoys up. And, you know, they're just a real user-friendly bird. Yeah, they are, without a doubt, the most beautiful turkey. And, you know, the, a lot of people say, well, the oscillated is beautiful. Well, yes, it is. But, and there are similarities in the oscillated and the other turkeys. But to me, the oscillated doesn't quite look like a turkey. Sure. And the Gould's turkey is a turkey. And it looks like a turkey. The white band, the white tipped tail feathers are stunning. They really are. There's such a contrast on a dark colored bird yeah. 
that and they are the widest of white yeah and it makes that it, fan just look huge i mean you can attest it just that fan looks so big and it might not be but i always tell people i i would love to actually get the primary feathers out and measure them i think they're longer but they, you know they could be three inches shorter and and you know i'm a total fool but y- your impression and even my hunter's impression is they're like oh man that fan is so big i would love to actually measure that up and and see if it is the case you know, I may measure those, but I can tell you I've got one of my ghouls full body mount. Then I've got another one that's just the saddle, mm-hmm. the cape of it. Mm-hmm. The one that's full body mount, the bird looks to be about 15 to 20 percent larger than the Rio that I have next to it. Mm-hmm. And maybe 10% larger than the Merriams that I have mounted mm-hmm. as well. So I think they are bigger, but I, I don't think weight wise. Um, I hear about some of your Eastern turkeys, you know, 24 to 28 pounds. And I mean, yeah. I don't know that I've ever actually weighed a Gould. I'll be honest, I don't know that I've ever weighed one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, their feed is nothing like probably some of the feed that the guys have in the Midwest or that you guys have back, you know, back east. But I, th- I think they are a taller bird from, you know, head, head to toe. I definitely don't think weight wise they're as big, but they are stunning when they come in They're They're a fantastic bird to hunt. I have yet to take anybody that isn't just blown away at the, the characteristics of the Goulds and how pretty they are. When I first saw a picture of a Goulds, in full strut, I knew I had to have one. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And they oscillated the same way. I, when I saw that bird and, and the just beautiful coloration of that bird, I said, I've got to have one of those. I haven't done it yet, but it's on the list. Yeah, me too. I'll get to it, good Lord willing. So, Me too. Well, tell me a little bit about the habitat that the Goulds turkeys live in. Sure. The habitat, you know, here in Arizona, we have quite a few Goulds over the last, I don't know exactly, but over the last 10 years, the National Wild Turkey Federation has been doing a phenomenal job here in, in combination with the game and fish. And in Arizona specifically, we have Goulds turkeys in, in southern Arizona, and they call them the Sky Islands. There's desert floors and then there's these mountain chains that go all the way up to 8,000 feet, maybe even in some 85, maybe 9,000 feet. And it's interesting, the Goulds actually thrive in down on the desert floor, in the mid chaparral, kind of mid country, and then all the way up in the Ponderosa Pines. You know, there's different units here. You've got the Catalinas, the Galeros, the Chiricahuas, the Huachucas, the Santa Ritas. Uh, those are all there's other mountains as well, the Grams, that have these goulds. So you you run the full gamut of country. But in Mexico, I hunt primarily in Sonora. And Sonora is a lot of kind of, I'd say it's about 4,000 to 5,000 feet, kind of mesquite, ocotillo, kind of coos deer type country. And then in the river bottoms and the creek bottoms, you know, you've got your big sycamores and cottonwoods. And that's what they, you know, they like to roost in. But if you've ever been coos deer hunting, it's real similar to that country. And then on over into um, Chihuahua, they've got a lot of, they call them Chihuahuan pines, uh, you know, all the way up into, you know, full-blown what looks like Ponderosa pine forests. So it's a real vast terrain. I would say most of the Goulds country is fairly arid compared to probably what most people are used to. It might be a little more similar to Texas Rio's type country, but I'm going to say with a little bit more contour. It's definitely not flat like Texas. It definitely has some roll and they're definitely a mountain type bird. Yeah. You brought up something that I think is pretty interesting. The Goulds is making a comeback in the U.S. Absolutely. 
how much hunting is allowed of the goulds in the U.S.? Yeah, and and I can tell you, um, I can't give you exact numbers, but I can tell you, like, you know, say eight or nine years ago, a lot of the units had one or two goulds turkey tags total. And now several of the units, I want to say, have two separate hunts that they've split into two hunts and I think have, you know, seven or eight, maybe nine, maybe even 10 permits per hunt. So, you know, a unit, a unit that, you know, had one tag is now has five and five, five on the early, five on the late. So the the Goulds has really come back. I don't think they've done quite as well in New Mexico, but I know the success, you know, the, there's a huge success story in, in Southern Arizona with these Goulds for sure. If I had to guess, I want to say there's probably 50 permits in Arizona total. And there might be even a few more than that. Whereas when they first reintroduced them, you know, there was a time when there was only, you know, maybe four or five in the whole state. Right. So, uh, you know, it's the National Wild Turkey Federation and the Game and Fish um, have done a fantastic job of managing those birds for sure. Yeah. Seems like I remember that when Arizona first opened up hunting for the Goulds, the NWTF got one of the permits and auctioned it off. And then it seems like there was maybe one other that the state of Arizona did uh, an auction for. And I think that was it. Yeah. And, and, you know, they still have that today. Actually, this year is a very interesting year. I have the fortune of a friend of mine bought the Arizona Goulds auction tag. It's actually an any turkey tag. And we actually have Goulds, Merriams and Rios. Uh, we have a small population of Rios on the Arizona Strip, which is separated by the Colorado River. That's an isolated pocket, but they can hunt any bird. But for for years, that that auction ghoul, or turkey hunter has chosen the Goulds. I'm fortunate this year, a friend of mine um, from Oregon actually purchased the tag. And then we actually do two raffle tags. And one of the raffle hunters is actually a, a, a guy that I know from Alabama, ironically, that is uh, coming out to hunt. And we actually are going out this weekend. Now, they, that's a 365 tag. I, I believe you put in $5 to win a chance at the raffle bird. And they drew his name out of a hat. And then, and then my friend actually bought the auction tag. And I'm excited to go with both of them at separate times and take them to get their Goulds turkeys. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. Wow, that will be fun. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is. It's exciting. You mentioned some of the areas that we can find Goulds, some of the mountain chains and that kind of thing, both in the U.S. and in Mexico. You also mentioned that the Goulds in Arizona are doing well at the higher elevations as well as the lower elevations. But typically, in Mexico, do you find them in a certain area, certain elevation during season? Yeah, I would say that where I hunt in Sonora, Mexico, which is uh, west of Chihuahua, Sonora, just, just to kind of picture it, is basically you take Arizona and it's basically everything south of Arizona and it bleeds over a little bit into New Mexico and it bleeds a little bit over into California, but pretty much straight south of Arizona is is the state of Sonora and most of my ranch, well, all of my ranches were, are anywhere within 30 to 50 miles of the of the U.S. border. And so really what those birds are is just a extension of those sky islands. And a lot of the country is very, very similar to the same mountain range that's, you know, 50 miles away in Arizona. You've got 
all the way from say 25 or say 1500 feet up into the, you know, where you get the mesquites that are, you know, in the, you know, 2000 to 3000 foot range. And then you've got the oaks that are in the, you know, 3500 to 5000 range. Then you go on up into the, the, the uh, manzanita and the pines. To answer your question, most of the birds that we hunt in Sonora are kind of in that lower to mid range country. They, they like to be around water. So a lot of times they're in the, the river bottoms in the drainages. And conversely, in Chihuahua, a lot of the hunting is done at, you know, six, seven thousand feet, primarily all in the pines. So Mexico definitely has a very diverse terrain. One of the key factors with Goulds is if you can find good water, uh, you're usually going to find Goulds turkeys. Yeah, that's something that they absolutely have to have. There is no, well, there's a puddle here or a puddle there like they can do east of the Mississippi. Just find them a mud puddle to drink out of. There are no mud puddles. Yeah, it's a very arid place. And, and, and you know, there are times when it feels like a tropical jungle because they do get big monsoonal moisture. And, and, you know, actually in December and January, when we're coos deer hunting down there, it can feel wet at times. But overall, it's a, it's, it's a pretty inhospitable place at times. Um, very beautiful in its own right. But a lot of beautiful cactus and, and a lot of, you know, in the spring, I mainly hunt them like the first two weeks of May and a lot of stuff's bloomed out and it's just a beautiful time to be down there. Yeah. Now the ranches that you hunt, do they have guzzlers or water tanks? Most of the ranches, none of the ranches have guzzlers, so to speak. Most of the the water is um, what they call repressos, uh, what we would call just cattle water tanks that are, you know, dirt tanks. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the drainages, you know, have permanent water where there's tanahas or what we would call springs. And the tanahas, you know, down down a drainage, uh, if, if it's got, you know, say puddles every... If there's puddles every quarter mile, you know, pretty good sized little puddles from the springs, um, you will find turkeys there most often. Yeah. Okay. I was curious about that. There's some windmills too, but it's mostly dirt tanks and, um, you know, just uh, just Tanahas. Yeah. The place that I hunted had tanks Mm -hmm. and that was a great place to set up Mm -hmm. morning or afternoon. You knew birds were going to be coming in there to get something to drink. Sure. There was no question about it. So water is key. Turkeys can eat just about anything, but water is something they have to have. So in those arid areas, that's extremely important. Yeah, you know, um, speaking of eating, uh, last year towards the end of our hunts there in the middle of May, I was checking out to see what those turkeys were eating because I noticed they were leaving the roost and kind of just going out in pretty open country. And I had a suspicion I knew what they were eating. Um, there were grasshoppers all over and I, I opened one up and, and looked at it and, and it was just, I actually have a picture of it somewhere, just chuck full of grasshoppers. I mean, like Andy, like hundreds, like um, wow. as full as a turkey stomach can be full of grasshoppers. I mean, like the, it was hard when I cut into it. It was just so full of grasshoppers. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, you talked a little bit about when you go to Mexico to hunt the Goulds and you said it's the first two weeks of May. And I know that NWTF has really been working with the Mexican government to implement some seasons 
an, an actual turkey season to implement harvest limitations and that kind of thing. Has any of that actually taken place? As far as I know, uh, turkey season in Mexico for the whole country starts, I want to say, March 15th, and it usually goes till May 31st, roughly. Those are rough dates. It's a fairly long and liberal season. To be honest with you, I know that Gould's turkeys run all the way down into Durango and, you know, get maybe a couple hundred miles from uh, the border of the U.S. I ha- The furthest I've probably ever hunted turkeys south of the U.S. border is probably about 50 miles. And as far as the regulations, I am not aware of any specific Gould seasons. Uh, I know that they actually issue tags. They issue ranch contracts and permits for the turkeys. And they call them wajalotes uh, or pavo. And as far as I know, I don't know that there's any specific Goulds. And and the other thing is, I'm not sure how they handle it with the with the Rio Grande turkeys that are, you know, south of Texas. I believe right. they're all one lumped under, you know, Guajalote. Okay. So there's no distinction from one to the other? Not, that I, not that I know of. Okay. Do they have any kind of a limitation as number of birds? I believe the limitation is three per hunter, okay. but I'm not 100% sure on that. We usually get our turkey tags and our, our hunt contracts from the owner of the ranch, and I'm usually so trying to be so conservative on my take anyway that the most turkeys anybody's ever taken with me is three. Usually guys do one or two birds, and the most I'll do is a two-bird hunt. Yeah, okay. And that's important. If you don't manage the resource, one of these days you'll wake up and the resource won't be there. Yeah, and it's one of the challenges in dealing with the, the a lot of times the Mexican ranchers is trying to explain to them that turkeys can be very, very fragile. And the worst thing that you could do is uh, harvest harvest too many turkeys. And, you know, one of the things I like hunting about May is that there's pretty good gobbling and pretty good breeding, I'm going to say, the last week of April. And I feel like hunting a little bit later gives them a chance to get a lot of the hens bred. And people ask me, well, are they going to be gobbling if I'm booking the first hunt or the last hunt, say the 15th? My experience has always been they gobble just as good on the first as they do the 15th. It's, it's, you know, gobbling and, and the interaction has never, in my mind, been better or worse in that two-week period. It's always been pretty darn good. Yeah. Well, speaking of interaction, that leads me to ask you another question. Is there a certain type of call that you found that works better on a Goulds, i.e. a box call works better than a diaphragm or a pot and peg call? Or You know, I, I'm going to say from my personal experience, they're just turkeys and they like, you know, and like I said, they don't get called to on our properties. You know, I'm the only one that goes down there that calls to these turkeys. And so mm-hmm. it, it's not a case of their call shy at all. If you can make, you know, just halfway decent turkey sounds, you're going to call in a lot of birds. I will say that sometimes in the springtime, because our country is so big, you know, we may be hunting a 50,000 acre ranch, literally, or, or bigger, but only maybe 3,000 acres of that might have turkeys, you know, in little creek bottoms here and little spots here and there. You know, a good box call or a good slate call that you can really reach out there. You know, I've struck birds from a long ways away. 
I'm not going to say they like one over the other. I've heard people say that they like a higher pitched box call. And I I think that could possibly be true. I don't know that you're going to have any more success, you know, with maybe a, a, a raspy call as opposed to a high pitch. But I can tell you, you know, you can strike anything that you can use to strike those birds at a long distance might help you because, you know, you may be calling and have a bird, you know, three drainages over uh, that answers and he might not have heard you if you were, you know, just on a, a soft slate. You know, if you're using a crystal or a glass or something like that on your pot call, you can probably reach out there or, a you know, a good a good box call can, can usually ring it out there pretty good. Yeah. So one thing that I've noticed about a Merriam's turkey is that they will travel to a call and it doesn't seem like really any distance is an issue for them. I think they're just so used to going up and down the hills or up and down the mountains that they don't think anything about going from one ridge to another ridge when they hear a hen. Do you think that the goulds are the same way? Do you find the goulds to be the same way that they'll travel to a call? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, pretty long distance. They'll, they'll, I have called turkeys from a very long distance, as far as you can hear them, as far away as you can hear a turkey gobble, you just sit there, you know, I like to close the distance, but I've had situations where maybe I couldn't, you know, big canyon or something, and it's just Mm -hmm. not going to be conducive and just stay right where you're at and call. And the crazy thing is, you know, those, those buggers will gobble and they'll get closer and gobble and get closer and gobble. And, you know, I try and play a little bit hard to get, give them just enough to keep them coming. And um, they will come amazing distances for sure. That was an experience I had on the very first. No, I'll take that back. It was my second Merriam's hunt that I went on. We were hunting in Wyoming and my hunting partner and I called and we struck a bird. It was up into the the morning a little bit. It's probably 8 a.m. And this bird gobbled and he was as far as you could hear. Yeah. And if it was longer than five minutes that it took him to close that distance, I'll be shocked. He covered what had to be a half mile in about five minutes. Yeah, I mean, and and for the goulds, you know, their legs are so long. They've got big old, big old legs on them, uh, long legs. And, you know, they can just cover ground. And I've also seen them gobble as far out as you can hear, and they take quite a bit of time. But they're coming, but they're just kind of walking and feeding, but they're coming the whole time. And I've seen them also break and be on you so fast that you can't even believe it. Last year, my last hunt of the year, it was a real windy day, and we were up on this point, and I called, and he said, I thought I heard a turkey go. I said, well, move a little bit away from me and I'll call again. Boom, a bird gobbled. He goes, it was a bird. It's way out there. And I said, well, let's just sit here and just see, you know, see what he's doing. And danged if that bird didn't just, I mean, come and come and come and come and finally came all the way around and, and he shot him. Uh, he, he came up on the opposite ridge from us. We could see him then. He was probably 250 yards away. I hit him. He gobbled. He kind of strutted. He kind of walked up. He was looking. I hit him again. He gobbled. He came down. He crossed the big canyon, came all the way up and basically had us pinned, uh, walked right to us and he shot him at, oh, 15 yards it was awesome (laughs) yeah they'll that's the thing i love about ghouls is they'll make you feel like you're the best turkey caller in the world and i'm certainly not i'm proficient but they're very interactive birds it's amazing that there's such a difference between the birds and an eastern you're not going to call an eastern that far most days yeah it'll happen occasionally you'll get lucky and call one that kind of a distance but there are so many things to hang up an eastern to where they won't come in and a Merriam's or a Gould's they have no issue with covering 
half or three quarters of a mile. There's nothing that's going to stop them from getting there. Yeah, and I, I think too, you know, the country's so big, and and there it's probably further between Turkey, so they're used to traveling over to see their buddies. You know, three drainages over, and, and as opposed to where you're probably at, you know, you guys can kill five turkeys a year. Your density is one of the highest in the nation, and you know, if your your bird per mile or bird per acre is is way high compared to you know some of these large ranches we're hunting in in Mexico for Goulds. You know, we we might have a twenty five thousand acre ranch, and there might only be you know a hundred birds on the whole place. I mean, so mm-hmm. they're pockety, and and I think that's why they're they're willing to cover a lot of ground to come to that that call you're making. They're a lot of fun. Oh man, that is for sure. They make you feel good, just <laughs> like you. Jay said. You can leave from that trip and think, man, I am the greatest turkey hunter in the world. And now, with that being said, they are still turkeys. Absolutely. You can't be, you can't go out there and just run around and think you're going to run one down. And you, know, you can't be silly about it, but they are responsive yeah. and a lot of fun to hunt. Absolutely. Well, I have had the good fortune of being able to travel a good bit and hunt, and I've been to Africa a couple of times on safaris. I've been to Mexico on a turkey hunt, been to Mexico a couple of times fishing, been fortunate enough to be able to travel a good bit and do the things that I love doing, like hunting and fishing. And I know that hunting in a foreign country presents certain challenges. There's Among those, there are language barriers, just travel itself. Every country has different gun laws. You have the food and water issue, ammunition, because every country is different about the ammunition and what they allow there and that type of thing. Caring for your trophies and importing the animals into the states, clearing them through customs are a few of those challenges. Can you address some of those challenges for us? And yeah, absolutely. Maybe give us some tips on how we can best prevent those challenges from ruining the hunt of a lifetime? Yeah, I mean, anytime you travel in a foreign country, and let's talk about Mexico specifically, you know, you don't have to know Spanish in order to get around. Uh, it helps. You know, knowing some of the words can certainly help. But I think when you're picking an outfitter to go with down there, you want to pick someone that is reputable. You want to make sure you check references. You want to make sure, you know, I've been going down since the late nineties, uh, coos deer hunting and, and, and turkey hunting, but you know, we go two or three times a year coos deer hunting and in Mexico, and we hunt a lot of the same ranches and a lot of the same country. And it's one of those things we travel during the day. We travel together. We travel on the main roads. We don't go into the towns. We, we, you know, we don't put ourselves in positions that make us vulnerable. We take all our of our own water. Um, I usually take two guys at a time. I'll do a custom trip. If, like this year, I have four guys actually from Alabama that are coming. They're all friends. They're all going to shoot one bird each. They're all coming together. Um, but I, tra- I, I travel in small groups. You know, we don't do anything that's going to put us in a situation that same as if we were driving in L.A. or Detroit or Atlanta, we're not going to go stop in the wrong spot. So we're going to do everything that we can to be in the right spot. The gun permit stuff is fairly simple. People a lot of times think that it's a real in-depth process. And and really all it is is way ahead of time. I file for the gun permits. The Mexican government signs off and issues us our permits. 
we get the permits, we cross the guns at the U.S. border, we fill out our customs 4457 forms, which means when we come back into the U.S. that we've declared them as our guns that we're taking into Mexico. So then you have your Mexican gun permit, you check them at the border. By the way, all of my hunts, I drive into Mexico. I live here in Arizona. I can be from my house to the Mexican border in about four hours. I can be to Nogales in probably three and a half. I can be to Douglas in probably four. I drive into Mexico. Most of the ranches are anywhere from 30 to 50 miles south. I bring all my own food. I bring all water bottles. I bring all the coolers with the food. I eliminate, you know, I tell people I would recommend not drinking the water. A lot of my hunters say, well, I'm on a well every day. What's the difference? Honestly, I think out there on those ranches, those ranch wells, it's probably the same. There probably is no difference. The general principle is you don't want to drink the water in Mexico. So I just bring bottled water. Import, you know, with with your guns, you always, they want to see the ammo. When you cross the border, you check at the police. They sign off on your gun permit. You put them back in the cases. You drive over to the military. You walk in. You, there's a room that you stand there. You show them your gun permit. I mean, throughout the year when we're hunting coos deer and goulds, you know, I may, with checking hunters in and out, I may see that same person at the military checkpoint, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten times in, in a year, you know, checking in and checking out. And they basically initial, they check the serial number and then you're on your way. It's really not as strenuous as you would think. Now, you definitely want to have your serial numbers and everything correct because if you don't, they're not going to be imported in. You're going to have to leave your gun on the U.S. side. As far as trophy care and, you know, importing your animals, fortunately this year the USDA avian flu ban was lifted. The last couple of years you actually, each bird, you had to have a special USDA permit. I believe the permit mm -hmm. was 50, I want to say $50 a person. Um, you had to have an approved establishment taxidermy, which you still do, but they're not requiring the special USDA permit anymore. You just fill out your normal, we have the paperwork, the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife declaration forms you just declare your your animal and you still have to send them to an approved establishment but when the avian flu was lifted which i was told did not even have anything to do with turkeys it was actually a chicken thing in in way south right. you know southern mexico that just is one less thing that we have to deal with there but having done it so much i mean people now that go with me they're like wow i thought it was going to be a big hassle and i'm like no i mean if you have all your paperwork done and and you've done it as much as we have you know it, it's not that big of a challenge at all so really probably the key in all of those issues and making sure that they don't crop up is going with an outfitter that is familiar with the process yes. knows how everything works yes. and probably still want to have a conversation with your taxidermist before you go. Absolutely. So that you can work out any issues there and, and, and know what to do. Yeah, and actually on our declaration form, we actually list approved establishment taxidermists uh, so that each person that comes, if they're planning to get their bird mounted or even if, even if you're just bringing your feathers in, they have to still go to an approved establishment. So either I have to ship them or the people have to take them personally. And then when they get in the taxidermy shop, they sign off on them. But it, absolutely, if, if guys don't know uh, an AE taxidermist, I have a handful of them that I use that are very familiar with the process and we provide all of that. Yeah, I was fortunate in that I went on the trip with my taxidermist. Oh, cool. Who did you go with? What outfitter or, or the taxidermist? Either one. I went with 
Rancho Durangano. Okay, so you were down so in you were in Durango. Durango. Okay. Yeah, went to Durango, uh-huh. and my taxidermist was Shane Smith. Okay. And Shane does an excellent job with turkeys, but it was really convenient for me because I just shot turkeys and handed them to him and said, there you go. Okay, <laughs> so you're back in Alabama. Yeah, I, I understand from that place in Durango, um, you fly right in and then you have a drive and it it's now compared to where I hunt distance wise, I want to say it's a couple hundred miles to the south and to the east. And I've heard lots of good things about them. And you know, there's a handful of, of really good Gould's Turkey outfitters for sure. And like anything, I think think you, you know, you talk to the outfitter, you get a level of comfort with them and you check your references and, you know, go have a good time. Yeah, that's really the key is having those conversations with the outfitter and determining if you're going to get along with that outfitter. Sure. And that, that goes the same, whether it's with a Gould's turkey hunt or a whitetail hunt in Kansas or a pheasant hunt in South Dakota an elk hunt in Colorado, it does not matter what you're hunting. You want to make sure that that outfitter understands how you operate, what your requirements are, and can accommodate you. Absolutely. Not every not every outfitter can do it. Not every outfitter can accommodate you. Yeah. And and I mean there's there's a you know the old saying there's a seat for every rear end. I mean there's an outfitter for every hunter and and you know yep. there's there's all sorts of reasons why why people pick uh you know certain outfitters and other people pick other ones. I think you know one of the things I would say is we like you know I like to do is I like to take two guys at a time. I typically like to take two guys that are buddies that know each other. I've mm-hmm. been with a lot of different guys that have completed their Royal and World Slams together. We do it as a three-man team. Had guys last year from Mississippi, Greg Gray and Tally Rydell. They came down to fill their Royal Slam, which is obviously the Grand Slam plus the plus the uh, Goulds for the Royal. Yeah. And we went out, we roosted birds the night before, and we crossed the border. We got to the ranch around noon. We got everything unloaded. Uh, we got kind of set up. We went and roosted birds that evening. We could have hunted, but it was a, a little bit late by the time we got over to where I wanted to go. Got birds roosted, went in there the next morning. They got a double right off the roost. We went back, had lunch, had a you know a small siesta, and got, got food in our bellies. Went back out around 3.30 that afternoon. Got set up in a place that I know they like to go in the afternoon, and they actually shot a double that afternoon. So they shot four birds in one day. But the beautiful thing was we did it all together. We had it set up where they're both set up and they had it worked out. If one comes on the left side, one comes on the right, whoever's on the left, whoever's on the right shoots. Uh, They had it worked out. If one comes in, who was going to shoot? And I think the fun part of that is you get to enjoy it with a buddy. And I video all the hunts. I take pictures of our setups before the turkeys come in, after they come in. And I try and really focus on a high quality, turkey hunting experience and and not to put any of my competitors down at all because they have their own styles and and do some fantastic hunts as well but i thought by focusing on small high quality experience each buddy let's say one guy went out and shot a bird and his buddy didn't get to shoot well you know the three or four day hunt that we do is a long hunt because the person that already got his bird doesn't have to stay in the you know in the house we can all go together as a as a three-man team and maybe the person that's already filled their birds can video or sit back and take photos when the bird comes in and it just makes for a really great time yeah how long before I book a Gould's hunt 
with an outfitter, do you recommend that I start gathering information and planning my trip? You know, I would say a couple years ago, you were fine probably in December or January booking for that year. I think as our economy has gotten better over the last few years and we've kind of come out of our out of our uh, depression that the country's seen, it seems like bookings are, are much more um, advanced. Obviously, we're in April now. I'm booked for 2015 and I have a slot or two left in 2016 and already taking reservations in 2017. So my wow. advice would be if you want to go get a hold of the outfitter, talk to the outfitter and try and get it set up as quickly as possible because, you know, there's not that many Goulds outfitters and there's a lot of turkey hunters that want to complete the Royal Slams and want to get that Goulds turkey. And I've just noticed, it seems like the last couple of years, the competition as far as the numbers of people calling and numbers of people wanting to book has really gone up. And I think that's a credit to our the economy getting, you know, slowly better and people having a little bit more income to spend on, you know, fulfilling their dream of the Royal Slam. So I would say sooner than later, get you, get your spot and pick you an outfitter and, and go for it. Yeah. Having hunted goulds, I know that it's not like walking out the back door to go shoot an eastern turkey sure. where I may not have to even buy gasoline. A lot of people have the luxury of literally walking out of their back door and being turkey hunting, but it's not that easy with the goulds sure and because it's not that easy with the goulds there's a cost associated with that that's fairly pricey compared to a lot of other turkey hunts sure just on average what is a typical goulds turkey hunt cost just the hunt itself yeah i'm gonna say that i've seen them anywhere from two thousand for one bird up to three thousand for one bird and you know sometimes it's it's you know three thousand, but your gun permit is included. Sometimes it's two thousand, but then you've got to add in your gun permit. You've got to add in your ammo. You've got into add. So I'm going to say a general rule of thumb is between two thousand and three thousand. I'm going to say more than likely the price, the lower price point, is probably going to be an operation that takes more hunters. So they take a larger group of people, so they can actually lower the amount of the cost, but do more hunters, whether it be better hunting or worse hunting, or maybe they have, a, you know, huge places and, and can shoot 80 birds a year, you know, I yeah. I've tend to see the people at the higher price end are smaller operations. I would definitely think I'm probably towards the higher end just because I focus on super high quality experience and more of a one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one experience videoing every hunt, uh, you know, and giving the video footage to the client. You know, very rarely does any client of mine ever shoot any bird that I don't have video of the whole thing from roosting them the night before to flying off the limb to beating the decoys up, you know, to the interviews before it happens, you know, a, a full on video of the whole thing. And yeah, I, I will um, say one thing too. I think one thing that needs to be noted, Andy, that may cause the Goulds turkey hunt to be more expensive is the fact that as outfitters, we have to pay a premium to the ranchers for those birds and so it's not like a deal where you know you're hunting in 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 nebraska where the ranchers charge in the outfitter you know a hundred dollars a bird or two you know a couple hundred dollars a bird it can be yeah. much much higher than that 
Yeah. So what are the primary predators of the turkeys in Mexico? Basically everything. I mean, you've got coyotes, you've got foxes, you've got skunks, uh, bobcats, you know, mountain lions. I can't say that a mountain lion, I've seen them take a turkey, but I know they do. You know, everything out there will eat a turkey. We have a lot of coyotes and a lot of bobcats. And, you know, it just seems like the turkey from day one is, is fighting an uphill battle for sure. Lots of coyotes, uh, Andy. Yeah. Now, is there still a good amount of hunting the ghouls turkey for sustenance by the locals? I would say on the most of Mexico is private property. And most of these ranches that we hunt in Sonora, it is absolutely forbidden that the people, the cowboys and the vaqueros and such that live on the properties harvest any deer or turkey because the owner recognizes real quick the value that the, each one of those birds and deer has. And so I'm not going to say that it doesn't happen, but most citizens in Mexico cannot own a firearm. And it's very rare, actually. You know, at a lot of the ranches, there'll be an old 12 gauge or an old rusty 22, but you don't see a lot of firearms down there. And I would say as an outfitter, one of the big things I always look for is, you know, I do not want to lease a property that has anybody else hunting the property. It's it's very strict in my contracts that I want to be the only person harvesting turkeys on that property. And, you know, coos deer, we do coos deer hunts as well. And, you know, that's the only way to maintain your quality is to know that when you leave a ranch that nobody else is going to be there harvesting something off of the property. Right. Well, that's about all the information that I have for you as far as the Goulds is concerned. And you told us a little bit about the story of your most recent successful turkey hunt, but that's the question that I always ask my guests when I have them on, mm -hmm. is to give us a story of your most recent successful turkey hunt and the one or two things that made that hunt a, a success. So we heard the story. Now tell me about your trip to California with your nephews. What is it that made that hunt a success for you that morning? I think the biggest thing for me is I'm huge into roosting turkeys. I, I feel like if I can pinpoint that exact tree where they're at, my nephews, I've been taking them there, let's see, 20 and 18 now, and I've been taking them last seven, eight, nine years. I mean, the, the little guy was, he's now six, five and, you know, 200 and 210 pounds, but he was a little tyke when I first started taking them, you know, just a little guy. And yeah. from the beginning, I've always taught them that roost time and California, you can hunt till four o'clock. So from four o'clock on, it's it's we're roosting. We're trying to figure out turkeys and exactly where they're at. A lot of times we'll be up on ridges with our binoculars trying to see where where birds are and where where we can get at them the next morning. And in my mind, knowing exactly where they're set up, where they fly to take off into their tree and where they're positioned, where the hens are as opposed to the gobblers is huge. And I think on that hunt that we just had, you know, we watched them for a better part of a couple hours down there and we were you know six seven eight hundred yards away along maybe you know half mile away 800 yards away and mm -hmm. watch them strutting and doing their whole thing so we had a pretty good idea that if our morning plan foiled that we could go set up in a mid-afternoon and kind of knew where they would be strutting and doing their thing and ironically they moved probably a half a mile to go to their roost tree and it was probably just as uh, you know maybe 40 minutes left in light just as just as the sun finally crests over they start beelining to the, the roost trees and we were trying to figure out exactly where they were well they went kind of around this little hill and and 
it was clear that we didn't know exactly what tree, but we knew the meadow where they were. And I think especially out here in the West where it's pretty big country, pretty open country, I think the biggest thing is is trying to roost those birds and being as observant as you can, trying to figure them out, okay, which way are they going to fly out of the tree? Where do you think they want to go when they do hit the ground? And I got between them and where they were the previous afternoon, there was a little water tank over there, and I figured that if I got in between them, that they were headed that way anyway. And I think putting yourself in the right position is, is key. Yeah, that is huge. Yeah, and with the Goulds the same way. I mean, we do a lot of glassing. And, you know, one thing I stress with my guys, sometimes we'll stop hunting them and, and in the afternoon just to make sure that we get a good roost set up and lift off, you know, maybe an hour and a half before to try and get to high ground to just try and spot some turkeys and watch exactly where they go when we could be down there hunting them. Sometimes we'll pull off just so that we know we have a great morning and have a good setup on them. Yeah, that's, I think, very important is, you know, even hunting Easterns, if you can figure out where that bird is and know a lot of times with an Eastern, you're not going to know exactly which tree it's in. But if you know within 100, 150 yards of where that bird is, it doesn't matter if you wake up the next morning and the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour. Sure. You've got a lead. Yeah, it gives you a place to start. And I think it's huge. It really is. Well, Jay, I really appreciate you coming on. Like I said, I wanted to have you on here just to talk about the Goulds because they are really an amazing trophy, and the hunt is quite the experience. You cannot complete a Royal Slam without a Goulds. Heck, you can't complete a World Slam without a Goulds. So if any of the listeners have a desire to go out and kill an Oscillated and get a World Slam, you've got to have the Goulds as well for that. And... The area that the birds are in the mountains is amazing. Some of the most beautiful country you'll ever see. It really is. It's very arid, dry, and having that type of habitat in the mountains is, it's really unique. Yeah. And so it's an experience that is really hard to describe. And I highly recommend that if you've got the ability and you've got the desire to travel and hunt, then by all means, take on a Goulds hunt. You'll not be disappointed with it at all. You'll be very happy that you did it. And before I let you go, tell us how we can find you to talk about hunting Goulds with you or to book a hunt with you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, GouldsTurkeyHunt.com. Also on Facebook at Goulds Turkey Hunt Facebook. I have an Instagram account that I run a lot of Goulds turkey pictures on, and that's at jscottoutdoors. I also have my other hunting and fishing stuff at jscottoutdoors. I have a Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing podcast. I believe I have one Goulds turkey episode. Actually, Greg Ray, the guys that got the four birds in one day last year. Mississippi hunters. Mississippi hunters. They're on my podcast, and I actually have another Goulds hunt podcast coming up that's going to be released. And I just started a podcast about uh, 30, 40 days ago, and I've just been enjoying the heck out of it. I've got about 17 episodes loaded so far. But GouldsTurkeyHunt.com or GouldsTurkeyHunt on Facebook. And people can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I love to talk turkeys. I love to talk hunting of any sort. And it's just an extreme passion of mine and real into photos and videos and, and, and capturing the whole experience. 
Yeah, for anyone listening, you're going to have a harder time finding someone nicer than Jay. And he and I have had a couple of conversations leading up to this interview. And he's extremely knowledgeable about turkey hunting. He's extremely knowledgeable about the Goulds turkey. He is, as I mentioned, extremely nice. And in addition to all of that, he is one heck of a photographer and videographer as well. So you have a YouTube channel. I do. Yeah, Jay Scott, uh, Jay Scott Outdoors on YouTube. Uh, fortunate to have, I believe, about 1,300 subscribers and have uh, well over a million views. And all of my Gould's turkey hunts for the last uh, four or five years, uh, pretty much all of them can be found on YouTube and just fell in love with video years ago and and trying to tell a story i yeah. you know i'm i'm not the greatest editor i'm not the great you know i definitely have some weaknesses but one thing i feel one of my strengths is I, i'm constantly trying to tell a story through photographs and through video and you know the the goulds provide they're a perfect bird to video because they really like to come to the decoys and they're very call friendly so it's it's it creates a great opportunity for me Yeah. These are not shaky, blurry (laughs) videos. These are high quality, very professional looking videos. I think if you go to Jay's YouTube page and watch some of those videos, you'll be thoroughly impressed with not only his ability to capture, like you said, a story on camera, but you'll be impressed with the hunt. You'll be impressed with the terrain. You'll be impressed with the birds and If you're listening to this show, you have got to enjoy a good turkey hunt, and there are a lot of them on his channel. So I recommend going and checking that out. And your, as I mentioned before as well, your hunt in California with your nephews is on your channel. I pretty much video everything that I do from elk hunts, sheep hunts, turkey hunts. Uh, I video, I spend the summer chasing trout in Colorado and Wyoming, and I video and take photos of that. you know, I'm blessed to have just a, a, a really good life and, and uh, I love hunting and fishing. It's uh, something I think about all the time. And you've said some very kind words about about what I'm doing. Uh, I want to say back to you, I, I love listening to your podcast and uh, really enjoy the guests that you've had on and just a pleasure to go on and listen to some of the stuff and the stories and the content that you have. So right back at you and um, look forward to seeing what else you've got going on on and we missed each other this year at the nwtf convention hopefully next year or the year after we can hook up and maybe have some lunch or dinner and yeah absolutely we definitely need to do that because your nephew (laughs) is coming to play football in the great state of alabama yes he is and everyone listening already knows how awesome the football is in the state of Alabama. Your your nephew is going to Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State, yep. which has a great program. Yep. He's really and excited. I want to extend the invitation to you and your nephew to come on a turkey hunt with me. That'll be fantastic. Next year. That that uh, so that that's we'll, awesome. We'll have to meet up at the NWTF convention to make some definite plans for that. And we'll make that happen. That'll be a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, he's. Uh, 
Oh, he's a little tyke. He's a left-handed uh, quarterback. He's 6'5". He's just a great kid. And his older brother, Jay, my namesake, is a great kid and, and just enjoyed. I don't have kids, and so my sister has five kids, and I've just enjoyed hunting and fishing with those guys, and they're a ball to be around, so I'm anxious to have you meet them. And just uh, thanks for having me on and look forward to meeting you one of these days and want to wish you the best yeah. of luck with the rest of your season you've got. Thank you very much. I need all the luck I can get. <laughs> and and I, I appreciate you coming on. And you guys go out there onto iTunes and check out Jay's podcast. You're going to enjoy that. It's some excellent content. And if you have not been out West hunting, it's something that you'll enjoy listening to. And it will get you fired up about going out west to hunt, whether that's elk or coos deer or a Gould's turkey or a Rio. He does a great job on his podcast. You'll thoroughly enjoy that. You will learn a ton of information. So I don't think you'll regret it at all. Thanks, Andy. Jay, thank you for taking time this evening. I look forward to talking to you again soon. And once again, I wish you luck this turkey season. And I look forward to seeing some great videos of your hunters hunting with you as well. Thanks. Yeah, we've got a lot of great stuff right here in front of us over the next, you know, 40, 45 days. So um, hopefully we'll touch base after that and share some stories. And until then, I guess gobble, gobble and shoot straight. Okay. <laughs> That's the hard part for me. Shooting straight, <laughs> me too. But me too. <laughs> I'll give it a try. All right, amigo. I'll catch you later. Thank you, Jay. Goodbye. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I hope that you guys enjoyed the interview with Jay. Those Gould's turkeys really are amazing, and you guys need to go to Jay's website and check that out so you can see a lot of pictures and a lot of videos of that. And if you love turkey hunting, you'll love the site because of the videos that he has on there. Go to his YouTube channel as well and check that out. Incredible videos. Very, very nicely done. So I'm kind of speeding through the episode because we did run long on the interview with Jay. But let's get into the Ask the Turkey Hunter segment. This week I received an email from a gentleman by the name of Rob who lives in Ohio and hunts in Steubenville, Ohio. And... And Rob says he is a new turkey hunter. He's a beginner turkey hunter. He is an experienced hunter and trapper, so he has good woodsmanship and knows hunting and knows animals. So that's a big help. But he says that he's not had any success yet. He's really gotten into turkey hunting this year, and he would like some advice. He says mostly he's been setting up of a 700-yard wide field. The field's probably 150 yards deep. The turkeys have been coming out and going in on the far side of the field that is not part of the property that he has permission to hunt. And the turkeys come out about midways on the field or from the top, and they'll leave about 9 a.m. from the top of the field, but a lot of times they're closer to him. He thinks that they're heading towards a ravine because the wind is picking up late morning, and he thinks that they're getting out of the wind, which is very possible. He says the turkeys come back to the field in the late afternoon, early evening, but he's looking for some advice on these birds. And now, Rob, I would steer you towards episode 21, How to Hunt Field Turkeys. So I'm going to give you some tips as well. Use game cameras to help pattern the birds. Set up the game cameras to take photos of them when they come out in the field and use this info to learn where the turkeys are coming into the field and what time. Also use it to learn where and what time they are leaving the field and set up as close as you can to those areas. Now I know you mentioned in your email that they're coming out into the field and going back into the woods on the neighbor's property and you don't have permission to hunt that property. But turkeys patterns change throughout the turkey season. 
So keep that in mind. A turkey late season is going to have a different pattern. They're going to have different areas that they're using, different areas that they're feeding in, bugging in, and everything else. So keep an eye on those turkeys and observe when the patterns are changing. Use game cameras to help you out when you can't do that. Also, you may want to try a strutter decoy later in the season and use a feeding or a breeding hen decoy with that strutter. When those gobblers start to get lonely mid-morning, mid-day, they'll come back to these fields and they will check the fields for hens. They most of the time won't walk out into the field to check a field. They'll stand on the edge of the woods and they will look into the fields to see if there are any other turkeys out there. If there are no other turkeys, they may stay there in the shade and wait on a hen to walk out. If there are turkeys, a lot of times they'll come on out and go towards those other turkeys, whether they're hens or hens and gobblers or whatever it happens to be. Setting up a strutter decoy out in that field mid to late morning, midday, is a great strategy to catch one of those turkeys that's coming back to the field to check for hens. And he may just scoot right on across that field and come in there to you. My third tip for you is just what I said. Hunt mid-morning, midday, and mid to late afternoon as well. Turkeys will start to use these fields more often as the fields green up and they have more bugs in them. So those fields are a great spot for those times of day. Most importantly, Rob, stay after them. Don't put too much pressure on them. They may stop using the field altogether or they may alter their pattern a little bit if you pressure them too much. So if you can get to the edge of that field, stick a decoy out, get back into the woods and set up, and just do some blind calling, that may be what it takes to bring those birds in mid to late morning as well as midday. So give that a shot. See if that works for you. Don't call a whole lot when you've got those decoys set up. I might call for two, maybe three minutes every 15 to 20 minutes and start out soft, work up a little bit in your intensity and in your volume of calling and stay alert because those turkeys may just pop out on you at any time. And if you catch them on the right day, they may come running into that strutter wanting to fight. Rob, I hope that that gives you a little bit of help and I hope it pays off in a field turkey tag for you. Okay, next week, we're gonna have a little bit of fun, but I'm gonna have my turkey hunting buddy, John Rowell, on with us next week. And he is going to tell the story of the Texas decoy massacre. It's a great story from our hunt in Texas a few years back. You're going to absolutely love it. It is hilarious. So you guys be sure to tune in for that one. Hey, if you don't mind, share this episode on Facebook and tell your friends and family about it. I really appreciate that. Also, don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. Those are greatly appreciated. They help other people be able to find the show, believe it or not. So if you'll take two minutes and go on iTunes and leave a review, that is very helpful for other people to pick up the show and start listening to it. One last thing before I sign off. Catch me this Saturday on Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast with Jay and Dusty. It's a deer hunting podcast, but I'm talking turkeys. It's a special turkey hunting episode, and we did about a two-hour interview for this show, and I'm curious to hear how Jay is going to be able to edit this thing down. 
But check that out. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. That episode will come out Saturday. You might just pick up another tip or two by listening to that. I do know that you're going to hear one heck of a turkey hunting story on that episode. So you're going to want to catch that one for sure. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.